Welcome to the OKC Underground podcast. I am your host, Greg Horton. Twice a month, we're going to bring you the best of Oklahoma City food and booze, as well as news about the industry and other things you need to know to fully enjoy what has become, in every sense of the word, an amazing food city. Today, for episode one, we have the Rachel Cope who loves these moments more than anybody I know. So <laughs> I've asked her to give you a, a brief bio. Most of you listening, have I know who she is, but I'll ask for a brief bio just so you get a sense of uh, what the, she's like an Oklahoma person and uh, love that about her. So Rachel, go. Hey, everybody. Um, just a few notes about myself real quick. Born and raised in Oklahoma, uh, actually born in Ada, Oklahoma, and then moved to South Tulsa in first grade, ended up Graduated from Jinx High School, played sports my whole life, went to Pittsburgh State University in Kansas for the first two years of my college career. Go Gorillas. Go Gorillas. They had the coolest, like, walkout song, Welcome to the Jungle. Oh, that's nice, yeah. I mean, it's pretty much the best, so that was pretty cool. It was a good place to go for a few years, and then I ended up transferring to Oklahoma City University, which is how I ended up in our fine city um, and got to the restaurant industry. So you had no experience the Oklahoma City prior to OCU? That's correct. Yeah, really? I couldn't okay. even get my mom to take me to Frontier City ever. So, <laughs> Well, because Tulsa had nothing comparable when you were a kid, Big right? Big splash. It was like, and Bell's Amusement Park, which had been around for like a long time, but you know. Run by roadies on methamphetamine, scaring. Yeah. Never heard of such a thing. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, sir. <laughs> so you finish up at OCU. We're not gonna, I told Rachel we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about her multiple concepts because uh, she gets that all the time. But we'll talk a little bit at the end about Remix, which opens today, and she's taking time off of her day uh, when her new restaurant's opening to be here, and I really appreciate that. So um, you leave OCU. Your waiting tables already? or Yeah, so I had started waiting tables in the summer after my senior year of high school um, on the border. Woo! in Tulsa. So nice. Oh man. You know, I have worked a lot of different places and that was one of the hardest ones. The second hardest one I ever worked was probably La Luna. That was downtown yes. at lunchtime in the back room. That was a hard place to work. I remember when the arts festival was down in that same area. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. So Wild you, times. So why was on the border hard? I was dumb one. Uh, no, I just had never waited tables before. Mexican food is hard. There are a lot of pieces to it. That's why the two places I just named that were the hardest to work at yeah. were both Mexican restaurants. Toward, you know, grabbing tortillas and salsa and just all this stuff. And there's just so many parts. Um, so do you feel like you lost your mind a little bit when you're like, hey, let's do Revolucion. That'll be a great idea. <laughs> for a lot of reasons, you know, I, I, I learned a lot with that concept for sure. But yeah, I, I constantly found myself trying to make it easier for our staff because I knew how hard it was to work in that, which is why we ended up kegging a margarita and, and some of these things and doing popcorn instead of chips and salsa. And there were some steps that we took at that concept to try to make it easier. Okay, let's jump into that because I really want to talk to you about this anyway because you have wonderful insights. I don't think people understand costs associated with the free shit that hits their table. Right. It's not free. Right. So, like, what would chips and salsa, like, for everyone have done to your margin there? You know, I learned this using, this is a good example, chips and salsa. Because a lot of places, a lot of people told me that if we didn't give it away at Rev, that, you know, people would be upset. And it took a little bit of training our clientele to understand that to give them, I wanted to give them a quality product. And we make those salsas every day in-house. They're all scratch-made. 
lot of labor and love and quality ingredients go into those. And I've worked at several different Mexican places. I worked at Iguana for a while. Um, I mentioned La Luna. I worked at um, On the Border. And I've eaten a hundred other Mexican places. Right. How many times did I dump salsa in the trash when I was bussing tables yeah. and chips and stuff? And even when those weren't my restaurants, I just felt bad about the waste. And I think when people pay for things, it makes you think a little bit more, yeah. too, about um, you know finishing it or not over-ordering. Yeah, I've been at... At dinner with friends, we're at a place that does like free bread, and it, it will all be full. Yeah. And the server will say, "Would you like some more bread?" And a couple of people are like, "Oh yeah, absolutely." I'm like, "Where are you going? Are you taking that home?" Right. Just because it's free <laughs> doesn't mean chlamydia is free. Just because things are free doesn't <laughs> Have mean you taken that home. No, I'm <laughs> no, it's like that's good. It's a terrible idea, actually. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so those costs aren't those are real costs for restaurants. Yes. And when you when you're sort of expected to give away free stuff, that just sort of makes it harder to operate. And I think people don't necessarily know restaurants as a rule run on single digit margins, profit margins. Yes, please tell people that. Yeah. Um, you know, the industry average for uh, the our margins pre-COVID were, the national average was 6%. God, six. And, yeah, six. And um, a lot of people don't do that well. And so to give things away is is hard. And when you're also seeing the effects of inflation right now, I think it's caused a lot of people to, I mean, we've looked at every minute aspect of every recipe we have looking right. for ways to cut costs so that we don't outprice ourselves from the clientele that um, we're trying to service by having to charge, you know, $10 for something that used to be five. Sure. Um, and so that's been a little bit tricky to navigate. But I will say on the other side of that, I worked at another restaurant back in the day that gave away a ton of stuff. And one of the managers there, I finally said, how can you afford to give away all of these items all the time? And he said, do you know how much tilapia is on the dinner menu? And I said, it's $30. And he said, do you know how much that dish costs to make? <laughs> and it was tilapia with risotto and one vegetable. And I said, no. And he said, it costs $3.30 and that pays for every fucking thing I give out ever. And I said, okie doke. It's like, yeah. So a lot of it's rolled up into other it things. Is. They're but, associating it like it's balanced out with something else. Um, that doesn't work for everybody, but, you know. It, when McDonald's serves you trash food and then charges you $2 for five cents worth of soda. Right. I mean, they're a way, and alcohol has always been a great well, we way. we call to, those loss leaders. Like, sure. Uh, for Empire, it's the garlic knots. Okay. You know, because they're basically dough that has gone past its life cycle for pizza. Pizza. But it still works as a garlic knot. And when we're done with them as garlic knots, they turn into croutons for the salad. So, you know, it's kind of an interesting way it does, of It does minimize that. waste that way, though. Absolutely. And that's, that's, and that's, a, that's important for us, It too. is. So, I know you don't want to talk about a whole lot about Empire, and I don't either. I've, I've eaten there plenty We're tired of, of it. I know you're tired of it. God. I, I'll never be tired of the no we'll to Brooklyn, tired. ever. Never. <laughs> ever. the best. Um, what, I just want to have one question, though, because when, when I read your bio and I all these sort of, you know, conversations you have... One of the things you point out is like you were driving down 16th and you see this little laundromat. What? Tell me what it is about that building for real, the original empire. That What was it about the laundromat space that sort of spoke to you? That space, I was actually, I think, working at VZDs at the time. Okay. Um, and I had heard about a contest for an old laundromat in the Plaza District. And I had worked with Joey Morris from the Mule whenever he was at the Wedge because we had worked in the same restaurant group. Uh, in hell and so we i knew he was down there and they had, and saints was already down there so they had kind of paved the way a little bit so i knew the district was kind of starting to happen right 
So I drive past it to see what it's all about. And it was just like this perfect little size building, but also was so naive. You know, I really didn't know what I was getting myself sure. into. Um, but I knew that I was tired of feeling like I cared more than the people I was working for. I was getting frustrated with some of that. So, um, but yeah, I, I love small spaces. Okay. Uh, the Edmund Empire is the biggest space we've ever had. It's right at 5,000 square feet. <clears throat> it's deceiving because we had to put all the, there's no outdoor space there in the back or any side, and there's no patio. So when you think about everything having to fit in there, no walk-ins outside, no patio, it gets small pretty fast. Right. But um, I'm a I'm a fan of small footprint, like original Goro. You know, that was yeah. like 1,600 square feet. The original Empire was 1,800 square feet inside. You build a lot of boxes. I love it, but Burger it forces us to be yeah. efficient. Yes. And also it helps with our overhead um, and, and setting ourselves up for success by having a rent that's manageable and not a bunch of empty space. Um, and also it allows us to have less people uh, as staff. So I, there are a lot of reasons I like little spaces. I also like the vibe of that too. But anyway, the laundromat had all those things walking inside of it. I mean, I still remember walking in and seeing kind of like old shopping carts with clothes still in there. There's a really funny picture of Steve Mason, who's one of the landlords, standing on a ladder with like pigeon shit everywhere. And like a pig, I don't know if he was trying to touch a pigeon or what he was doing, but anyway, it was pretty funny. Was he wearing Birkenstocks? Probably. The man famously wears Birkenstocks <laughs> Love everywhere. you, Steve, uh, <laughs> but you, you love Birkenstocks. He, that know. man does love Birkenstocks. Okay, uh, before we move on to a couple of the issues that I want to get to, OKC's food scene, it's evolved a lot since you got started. Yes. Even when you were working, I mean, I think we met at Ludovine. Back yes. Then, OG Ludovine. That, back I still the remember the day, pouring yeah. wine for you. Yeah, I came in. I th We were doing a tasting, I think. But yeah, I, I, knew, I knew of you at the time, but didn't know you. So so you've been a part of the industry even before you were an owner. Oh, so absolutely, what, what, yeah. What kind of, like, like for Plaza, for example, when you decided this laundromat is going to become a pizza place, who else was there? Was it Saints? And Saints and the Mule. Uh, Chiltepe's? Chiltepe's was on the corner there. Uh, well, let's see how that, the progression of that. Chiltepe's was on the corner. Then they remodeled it and combined their everything, the convenience store yeah. and made a full service restaurant, which I ended up not really liking. And that, you know, that, that, you know, the story of that yep. and how that's evolved into uh, where the mule is now. But Lyric Theaters, the anchor tenant there has been forever. it is not empire uh we are a sidekick to lyric they are the heart um you can disagree if you want but that's my belief uh <laughs> well but they the do they thing. do uh they're incredible but as far as oh scorecards the bar you know yes, that's, that's been, been around the corner ever. we used to love going in there it, they only had beer i think it for a while back in the three two days yeah yeah exactly. we used to go in there and play pool and drink yeah, so, what did, so ludovine and the other places what have you seen what what has surprised you the most about our restaurant scene really Hmm, that's a good question. In segment one, I talk a lot about our diversity, and we'll talk a little bit about some of these things coming in. I was going to say that um, I think a lot of people who come to Oklahoma City are surprised by the diversity in our food here. I'm, I'm very proud of that uh, for our city. And so that's definitely, and, and it's not just okay and diverse, it's delicious. I mean, we have some really good stuff here. No, we really do. Um, other things that have surprised me, gosh, I mean, they're just the number, sheer number of restaurants when you look at, yeah, you know, Chisholm Creek, my God, and, you know, um, Nichols Hills Plaza and kind of that area and then all these different pockets. Look how many restaurants Humankind has built in 
uh, the Paseo, right. and um, there's just a lot. There's a lot going on here for sure. But I'm not sure what has surprised me the most. Maybe just honestly, like the sheer number of restaurants. Yeah, we and I say that, and you, you know, we lose. We're losing three in the next two weeks. Right. Um, and we'll see some closing, as I assume. And that's how things. That's the ebb and flow yeah. of things. Um, it's a tough business, and you know the, the obstacles that we've faced in the past few years have only made it even harder right. uh, for a lot of people. A lot of people didn't recover from that. And people who yeah. served a very specialized kind of food that maybe was expensive to begin with are really struggling with the cost of that now. Yeah, have you, Has your menu shrunk anywhere? Because I, I was reading a story on the Times, I think, or, or uh, Eater, that 20% um, of restaurant menus around the country have shrunk post-COVID. I'm sure that they have. We look at ours and we definitely have made some adjustments to things. I'll use Empire's Figgy Stardust as an example because it was a favorite pizza of a lot of people but when we looked at that pie it had three ingredients that we only made or bought for that pizza specifically and so when we were looking at our everything um, trying to just slim it up and better cross utilize product and eliminate things that were costly right that was one of them because uh, it had pesto and it had uh, figs and all these things that were only for that pizza so yes I hate that it's not on the menu anymore but you do what you got to do and I, that does make the most sense. And I think people, again, half of what we want to do is make sure people understand what they're doing when they're eating out. And brunch is one of those divisive things. And I, you've tried it at Rev and you've had a couple others. But you have to have a, a literal third set of products and yes. things you have to order. So it is not necessarily cost effective to do brunch. No, and we joke, but it's true. The staff hates it. They do hate it. It's not a, not even <laughs> they a want joke. to be at brunch, you know, <laughs> yeah. having a or having a beer. In. Yeah. Exactly. Or sleeping in, definitely. If they worked a long Saturday night shift the night before, brunch was not a favorite of mine when I was working either. So I've we don't never, do it anywhere anymore. We I've don't never do known it. a bartender that we have a segment Every, an irregular segment, let's call it, like how not to make your bartender hate you. Yeah. So it's, be, it's one of those things like don't go to Sunday brunch is right. a good piece of advice. Yeah. Because they really are hungover from Saturday. Some of them are doing clopens. They close the night before. They're opening this morning. And For they sure. don't want to see your cheery ass face, uh, especially if you've come from But also the if they're there, they might as well be making money. And so no, I agree. just tip the shit out of them and you be know, nice yes. if, you, if you do show up. Okay. Let's talk about what we both want to talk about. Okay. Today, as we're recording, the Women's College World Series is going on, and I need you to know that Rachel and I have both given up at least the first half of the OU game. To yes, to be recording. here. To for be you here. All. And so it's all for you. It's the cross we bear for you. <laughs> so you played all four years? Yes. And did, did you love it? Do you miss it? Oh, God. Well, I we won the national championship my senior year. And I heard there was a rumor you were a Golden Glove. Uh, I don't know if I'd say that. But, but yes. you know, I think that that's uh, probably a joke that I've told along the way. Um, maybe I should have been. Who knows? But, yeah, I was definitely better at defense than offense, offense as I got older, as I started losing my mind. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, at OCU, I played shortstop. And we won the national championship my senior year. And I literally texted my dad the other day when I was watching the Super Regionals, and I just said, how amazing is it that I got to end my career on a win? Because very, I mean, we're talking, I don't need 0.001% of all athletes get to end that way. Yeah. And we got that. So if we would have lost, I think I would feel differently about softball. Okay. Um, but I have no regrets because what else could we do? And yeah. so I'm lucky because, man, I hate losing. 
<laughs> and I would have probably been like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, just talking about the good old days, the good old days. forever. Glory days, the old Springsteen yes. song, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you go to the World Series now? Do you, do you get a chance to go very often? Yeah, I'm a little bit of a, um, I don't, I haven't been to any of OU's games this year, and I kind of uh, didn't want to because I didn't want to accidentally make them lose. Because sometimes I think I'm like Are a witch. Are you still superstitious? Yeah, I'm a little bit superstitious, and uh, yeah, I just didn't want to mess it up. So I wanted to go to their Super Regionals. I got tickets to, that were, somebody had tried right. to give me, that were great seats, and I didn't go. Um, so I want to be clear that you you just said out loud you're a little bit of a witch. Yeah, I think which, that sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> okay. I look up at this guy at an airplane, and I'm like, I better look away. Like, I don't want to, you know, make something bad happen. Uh <laughs> But I think part of it's because I believe anything's possible, and I do think that I manifest some things to happen. There, are, uh, there, are, I could give you a list of examples. We'll get into that another time, maybe with a, a sidekick yeah. here and a drink like Julia or something. That'd be a yeah. blast. But uh, yeah, I joke and say sometimes that I'm a witch. But George's is the best little liquor store, beer and whiskey and wine and more. George's Liquors at 1020 West Main Street in downtown Oklahoma City is your one-stop shop for alcohol. Stop by George's OKC. Ceiling fans remind my dad of helicopters because he fought in the Vietnam War. I love this. Mm-hmm. All right, hard topic, and I know it's on everybody's mind because today's June first, uh-huh. and that is Pride. Yes, Pride Month. Yes. Um, you have been, honestly, I, without bullshitting, uh, a, a leader in that sort of sector of hospitality. Always made a place for. Uh, it's always always been LGBTQ safe. Um, you've been outspoken yourself. You've led through several different sort of chances to, but there are issues with a month set aside instead of just recognizing this should be the standard all the time. Is that a fair way to put it? Well, yeah, and let's get to the real part of it. It's hard to do it where we live. <laughs> Every day, yeah. you know, I, I love this city and I love this state, but they make it hard to exist sometimes. Yeah. And I don't like where our tax dollars are going sometimes. And that's just my view. Um, but we still do everything we can to be the most inclusive of all of everything. It's not just about that, um, all cultures and yeah. races and sexual orientations and all those things. Because when it comes down to it, we're all humans, and I don't know why we can't just leave it at that. So, um, fun fact: I bought the remix opening team some gifts, and uh, they are all they're like Vans. Headley and Bennett makes a Vans slip proof uh high top sneaker oh nice and so i got everybody's sizes and they're but they're pride and so the bottoms are all rainbow Rainbow. colored and then uh i got some of the chef's aprons they're actually in my car i wanted to put them on before i came in here but the laces weren't in them and i was like i don't have time for this but (laughs) we will be rocking those later and uh pretty cool but yeah it's it's hard there was there are some opportunities that come up in june where sometimes I feel like people, I don't like it being used as a marketing tool. Which, the, the gay washing that we're going to see over the next... It's already happening. Yeah. Some people have reached out to us about, you know, product and pushing product for them. And I just don't like it. Uh, it doesn't sit well with me. And they might have good intentions. Um, and I recognize that. But for me, I just, I don't like it to be used as a marketing tool. Uh, 
So well, because it is exploitation in, at, a, at a very profound level, and it is nice to see big brand companies like Bud Light. Let's get it out there. Yeah, you know, doing something that's genuinely socially good, and you know you're going to get the, the pushback. But at the same time, if there is a profit incentive, it's not exactly pristine in terms of their intent. Right, because when it comes down to it, it's still about you know making money. Now, I don't know how that turned out for Bud Light specifically with their clientele, but <laughs> I yeah. should know. But like for us at Empire, we run a pride pie in June. Um, but we also donate to causes all year long. Right. You know, we walk it like we talk it um, constantly because it's who we are. And I appreciate people who who make that effort, even if it's just in June. It's better than nothing. Right. So remember, we'll remember that, too. I feel like that people don't understand that hospitality has always been a haven for gay kids. You, you, you were mostly safe. Not always, and but mostly safe. outcasts in general. You know, all, people kids, who've yeah. had a, a, a rough go of it or didn't fit in in right. something or we're, you know, we don't have a lot of, we hire pretty much anybody. Yeah. Um, and so I, de- I, I love that about the industry. I know. And I just, there's a parallel in my head. It's like, honestly, to be in a red state like this and to find so many, uh, especially lesbian owners of businesses around it's so crazy because you think about, like, I'm thinking like Oklahoma Baptist, like half their departments, music department's gay. They can't say it. Right. But in a place like hospitality, you're free to just be gay, which is, I, I don't know how to explain that. Like there are some small towns I drive through and I'm like, this place is probably called Can't Wait to Move When I'm 18, Oklahoma. Because mm-hmm. that is the experience of growing up in those towns. And so... I, does it feel disproportionate in terms of the LGBTQ population in hospitality over against Oklahoma in general, or is it just not always safe to say who you are? Um, rephrase that. I, I think that there's a disproportionate number of gay employees in hospitality because it's always been safe. It's a, it's a haven. Mm-hmm. But it's also possible that there's it's an equal number to the outside world. They just don't feel safe to say it. That's very possible. I joke with everyone uh, now. I just will say everyone's gay (laughs) (laughs) because you know, and it's it's not to it's not to be anything really but funny. But also, I think everybody's a little bit gay. Uh, And so, yeah, I don't I don't know the answer to that. It has seemed to me. And remember, I've never really worked in any kind of other. I've never worked in another industry ever. I've never had one other job. Okay, before I ask you why you chose food, I need to point out you're wearing a Garth Brooks t-shirt, <laughs> and that's your that's your that's your boy. I know that. Also, today is, is Brandy Carlisle's birthday, and that's that's your girl. But is and, that's my girl. and we know Brandy's out. But yeah. do, do you think Garth is just also kind of gay? I think that you know I will. The thing I will say about Garth is that <laughs> Garth's sister, who passed away, um, used to play bass in his yeah. band. She was gay. Yeah. Uh, the song "We Shall Be Free." Yeah. Listen to what, in country music, what he was representing, what he's always represented, is one of the reasons that I like him so much. Sure. Um, I'm sure he has his flaws, as we all do, but um, he's always been a champion for people and sure. human rights, I think, and so that was one of the reasons that I really loved him. Is he a little bit gay? No, he's probably touched a butter, too. Uh, <laughs> being around all those uh, those guys in tight jeans, you know, Starch maybe. jeans, exactly yeah. right. So why did you choose, so why did you choose food? Food chose me, Greg. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> <It was like>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I chose food. It's, you know, if you've ever heard me talk a little bit about, you know, I was poli-sci pre-long college. Yep. I think I just wanted a law degree to say I had one. Um, I never really felt like I was going to practice law or do any of that. It just seemed like kind of like 
something, a trophy, you know, something to hang on your wall and say, I did that. My stepdad actually gave me really great advice. He was an attorney for a long time, and he said, uh, it's oversaturated with people your age. You can always go back and do it later. And I had been so regimented in my life uh, with sports my entire life. I just kind of wanted to not be in school for a minute and not have to get up for practice at 6 a.m. every day. And I had done that forever. And I was already waiting tables at the time. So I just kind of took a break. And I was I was waiting tables and having a good time, as you do, in the industry. And I really, Elena Farrar is who inspired me, uh, really, at the when she was at the Wedge. I got to see her... Uh, do things for guests that I never saw any of the corporate places like on the border uh, do. Yeah. And the music that she played and the way that she treated her staff and, and to work in really a hyper-local restaurant like that uh, with really interesting ingredients and see how she kind of curated the vibe and everything was super cool. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's when I really started liking it and I realized – a lot of people would tell me I was a great server or a great bartender. And so I started thinking like, well, maybe I kind of fit here. And then I kind of kept climbing the ladder on accident in that group. And eventually, you know, became a manager, became a GM. I always recommend learning with somebody else's money before you open your own place. <laughs> if you can yeah, do that. That's great advice, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, OPM, other people's money. Um, because I, I learned a lot with that before... It was <clears throat> mine, and that a lot of what to do and a, and a lot of what not to do. I was talking to Jamie Winteroth earlier, and we were speaking about just the industry, and she said the same thing. We've, we've both learned a lot of what not to do, which has helped us a lot when we had finally got had our own restaurant. Y'all spent some time with the same company, too, which we will not name here. Yeah, yes. they don't deserve it. <laughs> no, well, and to be just some housekeeping, Elena Farrar, also Elena Hughes, is one of the partners in Elemental now. Yes. And Jamie Winteroth and her husband, Jordan, own Aurora and Social Deck and Dining. Yes. And they're veterans with Rachel in a very well-known hospitality yep. company here in the city. And also both lovely people. Yeah. Yeah, Elena was doing things for vegetarians and vegans before 90% of the industry even considered it. In and powerful women when at a, you know, there are a lot of restaurants here in the city and there are a decent amount of female restaurant owners, but uh, those are two that I've been close with the whole time yeah. and that's pretty fun to see them succeed. They're like solid that. humans too and I like that. Yes, they that. are. Um, really quickly, we got a couple of minutes. I just want you to, I know uh, Remix Ramen opened today and it's a very non-traditional ramen spot and it's in the rail yard in Edmond and we tasted the food the other day and it is delicious unsurprisingly. Uh, Brianna Shear, Stacy Johns, I believe. Uh, Peyton Johns. Peyton Johns, sorry. Yep. Are the two chefs behind uh, putting that menu together and I promise you, if you've done Goro or Tamashi or those, this is not that. It's not that. Talk a little bit about why this approach to ramen. So I kind of have started saying that this is sort of empire for ramen, um, yes. which is the great traditional base, quality, correct ingredients, but then we start playing with it. Okay. Um, I love that we've basically, you know, there's a there's a Thai-inspired ramen, and then there's a, uh, a Mexican, you know, inspired style ramen. Like, we've got some different plays on those things that are fun and they're delicious. And when it comes down to it, ramen's just a noodle, you know? <laughs> yeah. You can do anything with it. And, but we've always been treating it so traditionally. I also saw, I feel like a hole in the market. There is only one ramen shop that I can think of in the Midwest that has multiple locations. And that is Jinya, which, you know, we got one here in the city not too long ago. 
is it good? Not really. No. Um, and so I see Remix is built for duplication. It is a hybrid counter service shop. It's not full service um, as Goro's full service, basically meaning you order at the counter and grab a seat and we'll come by and check on you with a handheld. Technology has yep. allowed us to create this hybrid. If you want another beer so you don't have to get up and grab that, we'll just have you back out at your table and uh, really focused on to-go and outside sales, yeah. which we've seen help Burger Punk immensely, like mind-blowing amount of to-go sales. And so that's really what that's built for. Whereas, you know, Goro is such a curated dining experience. Yeah. Um, and you're meant to be there for a while. Whereas Remix is kind of like in and out, quick, have fun, the music's up, the colors are bright, the lights are up, as Goro's sort of completely opposite of okay. that, except for the music, always turned up everywhere. I will say that the chilled ramen, which is what I always want at Goro anyway. Yes. The chilled ramen at Remix is utterly different. Coconut curries. Yeah. Sauce, and it is so good. It's perfect for June, July, August yes. in Oklahoma. Basically, take Tana Thai's green curry, which yeah. is this is how this happened. I was eating it one night, and we were trying to come up with a chilled dish, and we just weren't really hitting the nail on the head. And I was like, I love the flavors in this. What if we just make it chilled? Right. And then make our own version of this with the ramen. And uh, Bree and Peyton did such a great it's job so with that. It's so good. But it's basically, I was inspired by their their green curry. I love that. Um, that's one of the things you've done well is translate. I mean, Gun is the prime example, I know. <laughs> Rest in peace, Gun. God. If you yeah. weren't around in the day, Gun was the best restaurant in Oklahoma for about five minutes. Mm. And then COVID and all the things. Yeah. But... But you interpreted you and well, Changeloon sort of helped along those lines as well. Of course, back in the Goro days when he was still Kaiteki Ramen, and Jeff always wanted to translate his traditional foods, and you sort of helped that process along. You've done that very well. Thank you. So, um, really quickly, where are you eating now? What's what's your current favorite? Sedalias. Thank you for saying that. It's the, literally one of the best things in the I world. I was calling it Sedalia's until yeah, and, I heard them pronounce it the Silvana other day. Silvana corrected me because she, it was like a grandmother's name. It is, and yeah. I saw her post a photo of that, and I was glad that I listened and was pronouncing it correctly because I see now why it's so important to them as well. Yes. Fant I mean, I okay, quick. I ate there with my stepdad and my mom for the first time. Uh, had, we took them for the first time. We'd been, obviously, multiple times. Me, Chelsea, Brack, and my sister. Anyway, uh my stepdad, he had a cocktail or two. He looks at me and he goes, why have we been eating anywhere else? <laughs> and uh, I told yeah. him that when they came back to the table. I said, I have quite the compliment for you. Uh, anyway, so. It's brilliant food. It truly is. And they are lovely people. They're so great. They deserve all the good all things. All the things. All the things. And you need to get in there before the focaccia goes away because they're going to do the same thing with cycle things on and off the menu. Mm -hmm. And the focaccia mm -hmm. is the greatest bread I've ever had in my life. Shout out to Chef Amaru because it is brilliant. So good. Um, Thank you for being number one. This yeah. is awesome. Uh, we'll, uh, I don't know if you want me to give any contact details, but I will say that if you, if you haven't been to any of Rachel's concepts, uh, Burger Punk, Goro, Remix Ramen, Rev, Empire, of course, uh, stop in, check it out. Definitely get the No Sleep Till Brooklyn if you go to Empire. I don't care what anybody else says. That's the one. It's literally an Italian meat sandwich on a pizza. Steven Schuster, yes. our director of operations for Empire, he created it's the only pie on the menu he's ever, I've ever let him create, and he hit a home he run. He crushed it then. He did, and okay. now he has, you know, he's very proud, and he deserves to be proud of that. All right, Rachel Cope, thank you. I'm going to turn her loose to go watch OU softball. Uh, again, Greg Horton, OKC Underground Podcast. You can find more information, including our best of the city lists, at hyperpandaok.com. See ya.